Greetings, Trinitarians. I'm so glad that you're here at the show and uh, visitors as well. Today, I should be focusing on the major writing project for my doctorate ministry program, but I had an idea for a video, and so guess which one won out? This is true in Eastern and Western cultures, developed and developing nations, and in religious and secular societies. Most people across cultures have a predisposition toward belief in an all-knowing God and life after death. This, but uh, the reason for this is because I had an interesting conversation on Twitter uh, recently where we were talking a little bit about, I'll, I'll say Paulogia, I think, posted a video about some worship song. And he was saying basically that even though he's an atheist, this song is really powerful and these worship people obviously know what they're doing and the praise and worship type people. And so I commented, hey, I'm not trying to take advantage of your sincerity here, which I love. I love it when people are willing to be sincere and kind of put themselves out there and not worry too much about how people might try to use that. Um, but <laughs> here we are. Uh, but I said, I love that, that you're being that sincere. But I said, maybe there's something else going on there, something more going on with that. And um, uh, he didn't respond, at least not that I saw, but several other people did. And many of them brought up what I typically hear among atheists on the internet. I know I've heard Matt Dillahunty say it a few times, and I've heard some others, which is basically, uh, yeah, there, there is something else going on there. It's activity in your brain that we now understand, and we know exactly how that works. And one particular guy said something like, and nice guy. I had a good conversation with this guy. I don't know who he was. Uh, but he said, um, after studying this for 17 years, I finally came to the conclusion, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically we've got this all figured out. You know, It was almost like the, the fact that we understand how the brain works now and what's going on in someone's brain when worship is taking place, uh, or meditation, or prayer, or something like that, that somehow that means that there's that, that this serves as a defeater for the idea that something is going on in terms of a plan, a design that God has there for us, and uh, perhaps communion and unity with Him. And so uh, I pointed out some things that I think I'll point out in this video that I think uh, help uh, to clarify what's going on there, because typically uh, people like that will say, yeah, we can have those same kinds of experiences with sex. We can have those same kind of experiences with certain drugs. We can have those same sorts of experiences, uh, perhaps uh, having a real rigorous exercise session when endorphins are released, when we have serotonin and dopamine and things like that going on. And so because of that, this is a purely naturalistic process, and there's no need to think much about God when it happens here. And just know the next time that you're in church and you're experiencing a really incredible worship experience or in prayer or meditation, that nothing is going on there except some uh, neurological stuff. We've got it all figured out. We've got it locked down. And uh, that's all there is to it. Okay, uh, so uh, we're going to look at this, and I'm actually going to agree to a certain degree. Uh, I don't think that's all that's going on. is something purely naturalistic, but it just so happens that several years ago I read a book called Why God Won't Go Away. I do not know the religious backgrounds, if there is a religious background, to the people that are uh, the, the, the neurologists and people that were involved in the research that is cited in that book. Uh, one guy's name is Andrew Newberg. I think one of the authors died um, before uh, that book book or subsequent books could be published. Nevertheless, they came up with a field of study that they like to refer to as neurotheology. And basically what they want to do is take a look at what's going on in people's brains of various religions. This is not a Christian endeavor. Uh, various religions and try to figure out what is happening with the different regions of the brain. Because for a long time people suspected, well, it must be the case that um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a particular region of the brain, a spot in the brain where God um, kind of comes in, like, the, 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 you know, like an antenna for God in a particular part of your brain. 
And the answer to that question is no, there's not a particular part of the brain. It's something that goes on you know, across your brain, all the different regions. And so this becomes a very interesting thing. I do think that we can track what's going on uh, on the naturalistic side of things, uh, with the brain when worship is taking place. After all, we we are not merely you know soulish beings, spirit beings. Uh, we are. Uh, my position is that we are substance dualists. That we believe that there is a physical and immaterial part of the human being, and those together make up uh, God's plan for mankind. That we would have a body, a physical body, and an immaterial soul. And so uh, it shouldn't be surprising to us that when someone's worshiping or praying or meditating, that there is something going on there. That there is that we can actually see some things happening in the brain that may even, to some degree, match up with other things that are going on when we do other things. Um, And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, although it's not exactly the same things, and that's going to be very important as we consider this. So we're going to talk a little bit about this and what it means and what it doesn't mean. So uh, let's jump in right now and take a look at what Andrew Newberg, who wrote the book, uh, one of the authors of the book, uh, Why God Won't Go Away, and let's see what he has to say right now. The question as to whether or not we are hardwired for religion and spirituality, uh, I think, is, is a very important one. When we look at how the brain works, it looks like the brain is able to very easily engage in religious and spiritual practices, ideas, and experiences. All the brain scan studies that we've done show that there are multiple parts of the brain that seem to get involved. So it really does look like the brain is so easily capable of having these experiences. Now, exactly how that ability got into the brain is, of course, a much more complex and both philosophical and scientific question. The scientists would say, well, maybe it was through millions of years of evolution that uh, because being religious or spiritual was an adaptive process, it got incorporated into the biological mechanisms of the brain. And there's certainly a lot of reasons to support that. And of course, if you're a religious individual, it also makes sense that if there's a God up there and we're down here, that we would have a brain that's capable of communicating to God, praying to God, doing the things that God needs us to do. Otherwise, there would be this kind of fundamentally silly disconnect. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to have any kind of interaction with God. So it does look like the brain, no matter how it got there, does have this profound ability to engage in religious and spiritual experiences. And, and that's part of why we've seen religion and spirituality be a part of human history since the very dawn of civilization. One of the things that we... Okay, before we go on with this, I just want to note that he actually lays out both possibilities. So the individual, let's take the individual who says, look, we understand what's going on in the brain now, and certain aspects of it are, they map to the same sort of experiences that we have with sex, or with drugs, or in a rock concert, or whatever else. Uh, You might say, well, that explains it. We can account for all of this naturalistically. Well, but the problem is that's not a point in favor of the naturalist. It's not a point in favor of the Christian. That's just a point. We both agree that stuff's happening in the brain. I mean, do you think that the Christian would expect that if you looked at our brains on a brain scan while we're worshiping that there just wouldn't be anything there? Or there would be some bright light or some you know something weird like that? No, we understand that things are happening in the brain. And we should expect that you would find similarities with people that are worshiping, even across religions. And we'll get to that in just a few moments. But notice the two possibilities here. All, all you're pointing out, like let's say that evolution or whatever accounted for how we got to this point where we have this propensity for worship, this worship urge, as we might call it, um, that, that even some secularists feel when they look at the universe around them and things like that. Um, the, the, whatever way you want to account for how we got to that point, which I'd like to hear someone give an accounting of that, um, but however you want to say that we got there, that we got there 
it does not explain why we got there or whether or not there was a telos behind it, an intent, an, a purpose for us to get to that point. Um, you know, it's kind of like watching someone build a car and say, I saw how they built that car. Therefore, the car is not meant for, uh, you know, we can drive it, but it wasn't intended to be driven. Of course it was intended to be driven. We built, someone built the car so that it would be driven. The fact that you can account for the process by which we arrived at a functioning car that can be driven doesn't account for whether or not it was intended to be driven. And in fact, if anything, right, and I think this analogy does reflect pretty well that just came to me on the spot, uh, the fact that we got to the point where you have a functioning car kind of does imply that there was an intent behind it. And it is very interesting. Interesting. I mean, Christians, you know, Christians would have suspected that we would find, as we, uh, you know, looked at, you know, as we looked at human history and looked at human development, we would expect that we would find that there's something interesting going on in the brain. Uh, there's something interesting about human development and about human beings in general that we kind of have this desire for worship. We would expect that uh, that would have positive benefits, as we're going to find out. We would expect that we would see something there because we can anticipate or predict that our designer would want a relationship with us and one of us to have some kind of an experience of him, or at least an experience at this point in the video, that we could interpret reasonably as an experience of God. But now let's go on to the next section. We find to be such a, an important element of many of the rituals and practices that people do as part of their religious traditions is the rep repetition of it. The more that you come back to a particular idea, the more you focus on it, the more you say a phrase or a prayer, those are the ideas and beliefs that become written into the neural connections of the brain. There's a, a cute saying that neurons that fire together wire together. The idea is, is that when you are doing a particular practice, uh, whatever it is, religious or otherwise, the more you do it, the more you are writing that information into the neural connections of the brain, the neurons that support that idea or support that practice fire together, they strengthen their connections, and it makes it easier for you to come back to that particular practice, and it also strengthens the beliefs that are around that particular practice. Now that's also why uh, we think that a practice like meditation, even taken into a more secular kind of context, can be a very powerful tool for helping to improve the way a person's brain works. The analogy here, I think, is if you were to wanting to become a better tennis player, for example, well, okay, he's going to go into how to use meditation practically to get certain benefits out of this. But what I want to point out here is he, and this has ramifications, I think, for free will. Isn't brain plasticity a very interesting thing that we, the agent, right, can somewhat control our brains and the pathways in our brain, and we can form them around certain ideas, certain concepts, and certain beliefs. Um, so the, the more you take those well-trodden paths, the more they become well-trodden paths, and the easier it is to travel along them in the future. It's, uh, you know, it is why it is that you find such, one of the reasons why you find such deeply held uh, beliefs among Christians about their, about their beliefs is because they practice uh, not only do they believe these things and think about them a lot and talk about them a lot, but they also engage in uh, these experiences that we're going to see in just a few moments, illustrations of what's going on in the brain when they're happening. But these uh, prayer and meditation and worship and all of these kinds of things that, that really work to cement these ideas. But guess what? So do skeptics. So do atheists. They have certain rituals that, that they engage in, whether that's uh, regularly always, you know, uh, uh, thinking about atheism or watching videos on YouTube all day long about atheism or uh, listening to particular songs that have certain messages in them. Uh, it really is the case that whatever you focus on, and this is so relevant to, I think, what the Bible teaches, uh, whatever you focus on, whatever you kind of make 
your God. And I realize that many of you don't believe in, in gods at all. That just for a moment, just go with the proverbial God, right? Whatever you make your God, whatever it is that you focus on, whatever it is that you wire your thinking around, it's like it's like you've got bolts. It's like that's a piece, that's a part of your worldview that's bolted in. And every time you do it, you're tightening those bolts even more uh, until the idea that you could unhinge that or, or remove that is almost unthinkable because you have developed these pathways. But the interesting thing about it is for free will purposes is people say all the time, well, I can't help what I believe. I didn't have any choice about what I believe. Well, actually you did. One of the things is you can rewire your brain. You can wire your brain a certain way by engaging in certain uh, sorts of thinking and uh, certain practices. Uh, and you can actually, to a certain degree, affect the pathways in your brain. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And uh, Andrew Newberg here is, is uh, breaking that down for us. Now, what I want to do now is I want to move on to what is actually happening in the brain when someone is experiencing a religious experience. Specifically here, he's talking about when you achieve something like enlightenment, when you have this really powerful, transformative uh what you would interpret as a supernatural type experience, what religious people would interpret as a supernatural experience. And this is a little bit of what that's like. And I think it's fair to say this is the kind of thing that's going on when you're engaged in um, worship or prayer or meditation. And so he's, he's going to break that down. But let's take a listen to what he has to say. Well, at the back of our brain is a part of our brain called the parietal lobe, which takes all of our sensory information and helps us to construct a sense of ourself and how that self relates to the world. It's denoted by the arrow here on this scan. And you can see when the person is at rest, all the different parts of the brain and the parietal lobe are all acting about the same. But when the person experiences that profound sense of oneness and unity, the activity in that area goes away. And that person, as that area decreases, what normally is a sense of self that it creates, that sense of self goes away and the feeling of unity, oneness, and interconnectedness of all things permeates the person's experience. The fourth core element of these experiences is a feeling of surrender, as described by this 55-year-old agnostic male. He said, I surrendered my past, my future, any conception of myself, and any conception of spirituality. Where does surrender occur in your brain? Well, right behind your forehead is your frontal lobe. And studies have shown that when you are concentrating, when you're purposely trying to do something, you turn on your frontal lobe. That's the seat of the will. That's what helps you to make things happen. Well, what we have observed in a number of different practices where the person feels that they surrender themselves to the experience, they surrender to the feeling itself, the activity in this frontal lobe, the red areas of activity, they kind of melt away. And that makes sense because if this area is normally on when we're trying to make things happen, when that area shuts down, we begin to feel that sense of surrender. We let our purposefulness go. Now, I was thinking about how I might be able to demonstrate this a little bit. Okay, so basically, you notice a couple of things happening there. First of all, uh, these parietal lobe uh, kind of uh, slacks off a little bit. And in the book, uh, Who Made or Why God Won't Go Away, if I remember correctly what, what they described there, in a worshipful setting or in a setting where you have a repetitive motion and like people can kind of induce this with a, with a repetitive motion or focusing on a central idea or even saying like a mantra or something. Like we know about this with Eastern religions and things. And for those of you who are Christians, you think I'm off my rocker, just hang with me because this is all going to be very important and I think uh, relevant to uh, biblical truth. But
but but so what you see is uh, when when this the frontal lobes then uh, back off a little bit. You're not you're not exercising uh, this great attention that you had. You've kind of surrendered, uh, and and then the 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 parietal lobes at the same time. Uh, are slacking off, what you have is this feeling of unity and oneness with, with what's going on around you, um, and you have this sense of, of peace and, and really what he describes as enlightenment. And remember, he's talking about across various religions. So now here's, here's the point where I want to say this. So uh, looking at this from a Christian perspective and a biblical perspective, what will we say about this? Well, every individual on the planet has, uh, you know, all things being equal, the same hardware, right? The, the same physical, uh, you know, makeup. I mean, th there are people with disabilities and there are people that have problems and things like that. And, and there are chemical imbalances and all kinds of things like that going on. And that's all true. But like I said, all things being equal... We have the same brains, and so as a result, a person who's not a believer or a person who's a Muslim or a person who's Hindu or whatever you want to do with that, whatever worldview or whatever, um, we have this same hardware. And so the idea that you could somehow manipulate the hardware in such a way that it uh, mimics what's going on in worship and is itself worship is not surprising. That's not surprising at all to me. Um, that's why the Bible is very clear that we should be interested in what it is that we're worshiping and what it is that we're uh, exhibiting these feelings toward, because there's no question, it's, there's never been any ruse that only Christians could feel some kind of a worshipful experience. That's not... Uh, now, we, th we think that there is something unique about Christian worship experiences that we'll talk about in just a few moments, but that's a very important thing. So if you're a Christian out there and you're thinking, well, wait a minute, but, th but this could be said about Hindus or Muslims or, or, or atheists or anybody. That's absolutely right, because everybody is worshiping something, or everybody can worship something. And when you do that, you might experience at least the physiological side of that worship experience. And you might experience the serotonin and the, and the dopamine and all of those kinds of things. I, now, to take it out of this uh, naturalistic area, I think there's actually other supernatural stuff going on uh, on, this, on the immaterial side of things. And I think those can either be uh, demonic or I think those can be good. But the, but the fact that we can experience this physiologically. Now, another thing that we would say is that you would experience this in a rock concert. I'll never forget that a few years ago, my wife and I went to see uh, The Killers in Nashville. Now, this is a, the lead singer of The Killers is Mormon. Uh, and I, I remember we were watching, and that has nothing to do with what happened at the rock show. I'm just, I'm just pointing out this was not a Christian experience at all. Uh, we, were, we were watching this rock show, and the people down on the floor had their hands you know, raised up and all this kind of thing. And Sarah was looking, and they were reaching out for this lead singer like he was some kind of Messiah figure. And my wife looked over at me, and she said, this is crazy. This, it's like worship. It's like they're worshiping this band. It's like they're worshiping Brandon Flowers, the lead singer. It's, it's creepy in a certain respect. And uh, I would not be surprised, in fact, the data seems to show that if you were to look at the brains of some of the people who were in the midst of that sort of uh, ecstatic state down there on the floor, they would it, their brains would exhibit the patterns of worship. That's just what seems to happen when in these rock concerts. So I agree with the atheists who say you can mimic this in a rock concert. Sex, I, I'm not sure about that. I haven't looked at the data on that, but it doesn't surprise me a bit that in a uh, because there is something uh, not to get too you know graphic or intimate about this, but there is something in the midst of a sexual experience that can seem uh, almost transcendent like that, like a like a worshipful experience, right? Um, and uh, and and uh, drugs, yeah. Well, the thing with drugs is whether or not and some people 
do worship drugs, but even if it's your first time taking drugs and you experience something like this, uh, people talk about this sort of thing with DMT and other kinds of, uh, you know, uh, hallucinogenic drugs and, and stuff that puts you in an altered state. Yeah, well, again, we're talking about the hardware here, the physical hardware, right? So should it be surprising at all that we can uh, produce a particular drug that, uh, that kind of stimulates your brain in such a way that it mimics the worship? No, that doesn't surprise me at all. So the, basically what someone is saying when they want to point out all these things is they're saying, yeah, but you've got a physical brain and stuff's going on in your physical brain when you're worshiping. And sometimes it looks a little bit like the stuff that's going on in someone's physical brain when they're at a rock concert or whatever else. Yeah? What's that show? <laughs> it doesn't show anything. In fact, it counts in favor of, of theism uh, because it, it counts in, the, in favor of the idea that naturalism is false because even if you can explain it, like with the car, even if you can sp explain how, we, natural, how you know, we naturally developed or how we have a physi physiological brain that functions in a certain way, there's still this big question mark hanging out there in terms of which worldview explains this fact better. We're going to see some more in just a few moments, but I think that what explains this best is like uh, Newberg postulated or hypothesized, maybe there's a God who intended for that sort of a setup to be developed, and you can use it to worship him as you should, or you can use it to worship self, or use it to worship sex, or use it to worship uh, rock, some rock band, or use it to worship some political figure, or whatever it is. You know, that is an apparatus, the hardware of which you have. And you should use it like anything else that you have with your physical body. You should use it to the glory of God. All right. Now, I, I want to take a look over here um, at, uh, I want to look at this. Um, actually, first, I want to look at the, here's an article from Relevant Magazine. And uh, it's talking about, the, the point of this is, is how your brain is wired for God. But I want you to, I want to, this all other stuff is just introductory, but here it says, researchers at the University of Oxford decided to test the idea. They conducted a massive series of experiments across cultures and continents to see if humans are inherently dualistic. Dualism is the belief that there are unseen immaterial forces at work in the material reality we see every day, which is what I was describing a moment ago. These experiments found that children believe both their mothers <laughs> and God to be all-knowing. Mom loses her omniscience as a child's brain develops, but God does not. This is true even for children raised in non-religious households and in less religious cultures. You get that? We find this among children, even if they're raised in non-religious households and across cultures. This predisposition doesn't end with childhood. Adults across cultures overwhelmingly believe in some form of life after death. This is true in Eastern and Western cultures, developed and developing nations, and in religious and secular societies. Most people across cultures have a predisposition toward belief in an all-knowing God and life after death. This brings us back to what I've been trying to say in recent videos, which is, all right, what, what does, whose worldview accounts for these things better? The, the, an atheistic worldview, a worldview that includes atheism, or a Christian worldview? Um, what about free will? What, which worldview makes better sense of that? Well, we both agree that it feels like we have, it seems like we have free will, and it makes sense of uh, responsibility and, and praise and blame and all those kind of things. But um, so the uh, naturalist, like atheist, has to pretend, uh, that has to live as though free will is a real thing when the, they can't, when it's not. It's just determinism. And you've even got guys like Cosmic Skeptic and Rationality Rules going around saying that that's the case and saying that uh, we need to teach that in the schools, you know, and, and just talk about it outright. Um, I just I just posted on Twitter just uh, yesterday, last night I was watching the first Avengers movie and Loki says something like, 
you know, he's the villain, and he says something like, um, uh, free will is life's great lie, and knowing this, it's to know this is to know peace, or something like that. And so I tweeted that, and then tagged them in the tweet and said, um, is this right, guys, or is it at least on the right track? Because uh, that's what it sounds like they were saying in a video that they had that I made a video on that you can go uh, go check out. Uh, I, maybe I'll link it in the description for this. But um, but but they have to atheists have to live as though free will is real, even though their worldview doesn't account for free will, and it counts. It, it has to go with determinism, philosophical determinism. What about morality, objective morality? Uh, they have to live as though it's it's really objectively wrong. Uh, that uh, you know whatever wicked act you want to think of is really wrong, but but their worldview can't account for that. It has to be subjective. Um, wh- what about this issue? What about the the idea that it really does seem like we were from an early age we are like wired to believe in God, and it seems like we have an apparatus the purpose for which is worship. Yeah, we have to accept that, but we just have to ignore that you know that there's anything special about that and just kind of move on. I mean, when you stack these things up, I really have a hard time understanding how my naturalistic atheist friends uh, can be satisfied with that. I mean, it's just, it, these things just keep stacking up. And um, it's one of the reasons that I am wholeheartedly and uh, happily a Christian theist and think that that is the most reasonable position to hold. Um, so anyway, uh, this predisposition, we, we, let's see, we, we read all that. Uh, yeah, so the research shows, so this is, is there some kind of, God's spot, remember we were talking about, is there some place where God comes to reside, like a God antenna in the brain? Um, Our insights into how the brain works have gotten much more sophisticated in the last decade, thanks to the emergence of new tools to image living brains. We have machines now that let us watch living brains in three dimensions without surgery or autopsy. The technology allows brain scientists to study believers as they pray, meditate, worship, and experience God. The research shows that there is no God spot. God doesn't simply move into one spot in our brains. God redecorates. Believers have a complex, rich network in their brains for God. For the devout, God is not just an idea, but a tapestry of feelings and experiences. This network affects how our brains work at a fundamental level, uh, at fundamental levels. People who regularly focus on God's love through prayer and meditation change. Uh, They experience less stress, and they even experience a reduction in blood pressure. Their prefrontal cortex, the part of their brain associated with focus and attention, becomes more active over time, helping them avoid distraction and be more intentional. All right, you can go back and read this article. I'll I'll link it in the description, but that's important for you to read. Now, I want you to notice uh, how all of this ties together when it comes to Christian worship, I think. And so let's take a look at this article from Medical News Today. And it's talking about different religions have different effects. Dr. Andrew Newberg, again, you know, Andrew Newberg is the guy we saw in the videos a few moments ago, who's a professor of neuroscience and the director of research at Marcus Institute of uh, Integrative Health at the Thomas Jefferson University and Hospital in Villanova, explains that different religious practices have different effects on one's brain. And you see an image here. Now, remember the attention area at the, at the top of the brain or the front of the brain there. Um, that's the part that when you surrender, when you kind of have, a, when you focus on that, it'll, it, it uh, you know, in, in a worshipful state, it kind of develops and has benefits for you in terms of uh, focus. And we'll read about that in just a moment. But when you uh, kind of release and surrender, uh, that's when you kind of have this almost enlightened experience, at least in terms of the hardware, that's physiology there. Namely, the different religions activate brain regions differently. The researcher who literally wrote the book on neurotheology draws from his numerous studies to show that both meditating Buddhists and praying Catholic nuns, for instance, have increased activity in the frontal lobes of the brain. 
These are areas linked with increased focus and attention, planning skills, the ability to project into the future, and the ability to construct complex arguments. Also, both, now stay with me here, also both prayer and meditation correlate with a decreased activity in the parietal lobes, which are responsible, that's the one at the back, remember, for processing temporal and spatial orientation. So when that slacks off, the parietal lobes, that's when, and you have that in a state of worship or prayer or meditation, that's what gives you that sense of oneness and, and unity with those around you perhaps. Um, nuns, however, who pray using words rather than relying on visualization techniques used in meditation show increased activity in the language processing brain areas of the subparietal lobes. But other religions practice other religious practices can have the opposite effect on the same brain areas. Now notice the Christian sample that they've just discussed is nuns. And they talk about how they pray using words rather than relying on visualization techniques. All right, but I want you to notice what they say here about Muslims. For instance, one of the most recent studies co-authored by Dr. Newberg shows that intense Islamic prayer, which has as its most fundamental concept the surrendering of oneself to God, reduces the activity in the prefrontal cortex and the frontal lobes connected with it, as well as the activity in the parietal lobes. The prefrontal cortex is traditionally thought to be involved in executive control or willful behavior as well as decision-making, so the researchers hypothesize it would make sense that a practice that centers on relinquishing control would result in decreased activity in the brain. And that's when you have this experience that like sex, drugs, and rock and roll that we've talked about. Okay, so now here's what I want to say about this. So we, we can think about uh, this idea of, you know, that, that Christians tend to, you know, like the Relevant Magazine article, it, there are all these benefits that come with the way that Christians worship, specifically with uh, the prefrontal cortex um, staying, you know, kind of in the game when we're in the midst of prayer, meditation, or worship. Uh, but I want you to notice that this kind of enlightened experience that comes with surrender, when you're in the midst of a praise and worship experience, or when you're kind of putting your brain uh, on autopilot and focusing on God, not not emptying your brain like most uh, of us evangelicals were taught not to do when we were kids, right? But when you're in a, a worshipful state and you're focusing on God and you're kind of are in a state of surrender in worship and praise, you get this feeling of not just the parietal lobes of this unity and connectedness, but you also get this kind of I'm not gonna the term that he uses is enlightenment, but I would just I would just say this you know meaningful experience, and so uh, that's how it all explained in terms of the heart. Hardware. Now, here's the thing. Uh, people that experience this experience it as a feeling sometimes of warmth um, and like, like uh, almost like someone's got to put a blanket on you or something like this. And I've talked about this a little bit in, on the show before, so I want, I want to be careful uh, about this. But several years ago, I had an experience very much like this. Um, I've known what it's like to experience these things that are being described in the midst of a praise and worship service or in the midst of prayer on my own after reading the Bible and focusing on God. However, um, several years ago, something uh, happened to me um, that was very uh, important. I was in a state of serious—I uh, was seriously distraught. And I, I was praying and, and just through, you know, uh, sorrow, I was praying to God. And I did have this experience of just, I give up God. I just, I, I can't focus on this. I can't try to figure a way to solve this. I can't, I'm just giving it to you. I just surrender. And you know what? I had this feeling of peace that came over me, and it was very much. I have described it many times. In fact, you can go back and look on the show where I've described it before as though I didn't physiologically feel anything. Like I didn't feel someone wrap their arms around me. But the only way I could, you know, it was, it was kind of ineffable, but the way I described it was it's like uh, it felt like Jesus was just wrapping his arms around me in the midst of this experience, like a warm blanket, like they described. And I had this peace 
um, and and everything you know that 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 this is that's being discussed with with this sort of an experience. Um, now, for those that would say it's it's just the same as sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? <laughs> I beg to differ. I I I, I can't, you know I can only this is only anecdotal coming from me and like every other Christian who's experienced it, but. I do believe there's something unique, and I don't think it's happening on the physiological side. I think it's happening on the immaterial side. That is, when it is the case that in Christian worship, when you have all the stuff going on with the brain chemistry and, and, the, and, and the stuff that we've been describing throughout this episode, there's something more that happens as well. And, um, and because when I hear atheists who have, who have been in the church, and they describe what, they, what happens when they talk about this, their closeness with God. And I, I'm not saying you're lying, because clearly you can experience a lot of things, but it's just fundamentally different in the way they describe it. Listen, I, I, everybody knows that have listened to this show for very long. I love the rock band U2. I have been on the rail in front of their guitar player, The Edge. I have been in the midst of several uh, shows, seven shows, I think now. Uh, on multiple tours stretching back to 2001. And I can tell you that I have experienced this, the physiological side of this that, that is manifest in a rock show. Um, I've experienced it with other things, but I've never done drugs, okay? <laughs> but I've experienced all of the physiological side of this thing. But I can tell you there is just something fundamentally uh, different on the spiritual side of that. And that's all I can say. And um, do I believe that other religions can experience something similar? Yes, because I believe the enemy is a good counterfeit. That's why I've often said whenever Mormons, who actually are in a lot of these studies, when Mormons talk about experiencing this burning in the bosom that testifies to them that the truth of Mormonism, uh, and they say something like, "How? who are you to question my experience? I'm not necessarily questioning your experience, the, the veracity, that you're experiencing something real. I, I, I'm, what I'm questioning is the content of that. Um, and that's what matters to me, uh, because I do think that, that uh, the supernatural is real. Uh, I know some people object to the term supernatural in the Christian world, but I, I'm just, for clarity here, I believe that there is an immaterial side of things. And as a result, um, I think that there, you know, that, that God is at work, but there's also demonic forces at work. And so I think that all that can happen. Uh, so this is kind of my take on, on this sort of thing, and it looks like it matches both what's going on in the science and the brain science, but it also matches what's going on in experience and is completely consistent, I think, with biblical Christianity because it's very important. What are you worshiping? Where are you placing, the, uh, where, where are you focusing that attention? How are you using this ability to worship that God gave you? Uh, you should be using it on Him. You should be focusing and worshiping the one true God. If you're not, everything else that you worship is ultimately going to lead uh, to failure. And the more you tighten those bolts on, on the worship of something else, the worse it's going to be for you in the end, and the harder it's going to be for you to release that and come to God. Um, so is uh, to the question, is, is it the case that there's nothing special going on with worship because similar things might happen with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. No, for one thing, it certainly doesn't serve as a defeater because uh, between the two worldviews, an atheistic worldview and a Christian worldview, which one explains the data better? Well, they can both account for uh, the hardware side of things. The Christian can account for the uh, why it is that uh, this apparatus is here to begin with. It's very interesting that children across cultures and from non-religious families have these uh, have this sense of God and in afterlife and all these kind of things, just kind of prepackaged almost, it seems like. And it's very interesting that uh, we have this 
uh, ability to worship that produces this effect. And I think Christianity accounts for that better. I'm not saying the naturalist can't provide some kind of an answer, but I think the Christian answer accounts for it much better, just like it does morality, just like it does free will. I think that my naturalist friends are having to live in denial of certain facts about the nature of reality or come up with some excuse for why things are the way they are when it's really suggestive of Christianity. I hope you've enjoyed the time we have. If you love what we're doing here, uh, then click in the top right-hand corner of this screen, uh, or if you're listening by audio, visit tr- uh, patreon.com slash trinityradio, and you can become a patron. And we're about to do some interesting things with our patron to add more benefit, but we need some things. Like, for one thing, we need a new, um, some new software for what we're doing, and uh, we're building a new set. Um, so uh, if you want to help us do what we're doing and respond to skeptics and uh, provide the gospel on uh, YouTube, then uh, perhaps you'll do that. I- I've enjoyed being with you today, and I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.